0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, and thanks for joining us at the Modern Woodworkers Association. Uh, This is Diami. Normally we would have a regular episode here, and as we announced in our last episode, the topic for this episode was to be a discussion between Sean and myself about uh, how makers categorize themselves as woodworkers or furniture makers or designers, sculptors, etc. I still think that's going to be a great discussion, but because of some scheduling issues, uh, especially on my part, uh, we've not been able to record that episode yet. So we wanted to make sure we had an episode to put out. So what I present here is a conversation I had a few months ago with Dan Waite of Woodbridge Workshop. If you don't know Dan, he's a great furniture maker. You can see him at woodbridgeworkshop.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Woodbridge Shop, Uh, and follow him on Instagram. He's all over the social media. And where I really tuned into Dan's work was when he was building the sculpted rocker ...along with the Wood Whisperer Guild. So this is an interview I did with him in the late summer, early fall... ...about his uh, work through the Sculpted Rocker. And he had never made a piece like that before... ...but he followed along with the Guild. And I wanted to talk with somebody who was just following along... ...and learning how to do it as they went. And Dan is certainly that guy. Uh, He makes great pieces i mean he's a fantastic woodworker but he had never made a piece like this so it was a bit of self-discovery so i hope you enjoy this conversation with dan waite of woodbridge shop and uh please check him out on the interwebs all right say something dan yeah okay um, i'm recording pretty good sounds good so how you doing
1: uh pretty good pretty good i wanted to thank you for giving me the chance to uh you know
0: talk through the build with you oh no problem no problem. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of put this off for a little while. I actually built, uh, I bought all the plans for the low back uh, dining room chair, uh-huh. actually. And I figured that would be a good segue to get myself into doing the rocker down the road. And, you know, I bought the plans and I put them up on the shelf and they sat there and sat there and sat there. And, you know, that was a year and a half ago. <laughs> and I've done many a project between then and now. And, uh, honestly, if, uh, you know, Mark and the whole guilt thing didn't happen, uh, and you know, if he didn't decide to do that, it'd probably still be up on the shelf. Uh, but needless to say, you know, I'm doing the rocker and I haven't touched the low back dining room chair yet. So.
0: <laughs> well, I know exactly what you mean. I actually <clears throat> I have both the low back chair and the rocker sets from uh, from Charles Brock. Yep, and I, yep. I picked them up probably two years ago, maybe three at Woodworking America. Okay, you and did the it, package buy. Yeah, exactly. It was yep. it was for what it was. It was pretty cheap, and I picked them up. And I didn't have the intention of building them, you know, in the immediate future when I bought them. But sure. I knew I wanted to make them at some point. I figured that was a good time to get them. And um, you know, you're at a woodworking conference; everyone's getting everything, so why not?
1: Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. Um, but
0: I just, uh, you
1: know, I kept seeing the low back, and I said, "Well, you know, it certainly looks complicated, but that rocker is a, a beast of another kind." Yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll sort of step my way into it, but. You know, I, I'm I'm definitely a fan of Mark's videos. I think he does a, a great job of sort of, you know, breaking it down into steps. And, you know, I made a comment to you before about how, you know, I ignore the other 35 steps. In all honesty, if I hadn't sort of done a build along with the guild as it was happening, I mean, I'm a little bit delayed, obviously. But, you know, if, if I saw all the steps just laid out in front of me, it'd probably mm-hmm. be a little bit more difficult to convince myself to get started because – you know, I, I'm more of a spontaneous builder sort of person. I don't mind getting into complex builds, but I don't want to think about how painful they're going to be.
0: <laughs> I, I absolutely understand. Um, I haven't, while I've watched many of the other guild builds, um, I'll, I'll admit that I haven't watched any of this build yet because um, <clears throat> I wanted to take myself through the Charles Brock plans first. Sure. So I've actually, I've read the book that he has that's part yep. of the kit. Yep. And I'm about three quarters of the way through his videos on the rocker. Okay. And my understanding was that with Charles's kit, um, it left a little bit of the finessing out, but that's because it crunches it down to, you know, whatever it is, a sixty page book and an hour and a half DVD. Yep. Yep. Um so he actually has a separate DVD that he came out with later that's about kind of the flaring and the shaping and the, the finished part, part of that. Sure. Um, yeah. So, and
1: that's, that's sort of like the addendum on the, din- the low back video. Okay. Uh, you've seen that one. He just added one extra chapter sort of to speak to that point, but you
0: could tell it was kind of sort of an add-on after the fact. Right, right. Um, but I figured since I had it, and I know that on some level that's what Mark is using to go off of, I yeah. figured why not, you know, I'll start with that and go through it. So I have patiently downloaded all of the, the guild videos to the tablet I watch them on. So I'm ready to go, but I wanted to do them in order. But I can only imagine that they're going to be, you know, very clear and straightforward. And Mark's going to have, I'm just taking a wild guess here, ten, 10, 12, 14 hours worth of video for this thing.
1: I, um, I i hasten to take a guess at how many, you know, actual hours I've watched because, you know, it, it's its a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing yeah. is, you know, I what I'll end up doing is, you know, I have – I have my phone out there listening to music and I've got my iPad out there sitting there watching the video in real time, you know, play a little, stop a little, play a little, stop a little. And okay. You know, okay. I get the idea of this is roughly what I'm going to be doing. Then I kind of go from there and, you know, sometimes there's, I'll actually, I'll be listening to it and I stop looking and, you know, every so often there'll be like a comment of, Hey, you know, this is the, you know, I said this, I meant that, but it's you know <laughs> printed at the bottom. So then I was like, oh, I got to Then I doubled back. And, and so there's, there's been a little stopping and starting, but you know, one of the great things that Mark did is, you know, you mentioned, obviously he's pulling a lot of this from the, from Brock, but, uh, you know, there were a couple ideas, uh, towards the end about, you know, the way the actual rockers are going to settle up, uh, into the base of the legs of the chair that mm-hmm. came from, uh, um, Scott Morrison. Uh, yeah, I know Scott. Yeah, Oh, yeah, I know so, of Scott.
0: I don't know Scott. Yeah, but I
1: Well, some of the neat tricks that he uses on his approach. So, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, Mark's take on Charles Brock and the best of Scott Morrison. You're putting all those pieces together. So, you know, rather than trying to, you know, piecemeal and figure it out yourself as you go, you're kind of, you know, learning on the backs of giants who are sitting there have done a lot of that work, the legwork for you.
0: Absolutely. So, and it's nice that Mark's doing that because I'm finding myself in a little bit of information overload between – Looking at the way Charles does it and the way Mark does it. And I've spoken extensively with Paul Leminski up at Canadian Woodworks. I don't know if you okay. know okay. Him. Uh, um, Well,
1: I've followed him for, for quite a long time. Okay. And, you know, the bar stools that he's done. And, you know, I, I obviously don't know him at all, but I mean, yeah. just the work that he's done. I mean, it's exceptional. He, even the lumber that he's able to just utilize on yeah, the oh, invasive
0: is impressive. It's It's crazy the lumber he gets, but he does all of his shaping. Um, All of his shaping and sanding with power tools. Yep. Um, So I've talked to him quite extensively. Ultimately, I'll be – I have like, I don't know, 90 minutes, two hours worth of of audio on him specifically talking about how you sand the rocker. Sure. It's it's about an hour of us talking about other things associated with the rocker but about an hour-long discussion about just the rocker. So I've been editing that ever so slowly. That will be coming out before this one comes out. Okay. Uh, But – it's uh i I just mentioned it because you there's there's thankfully a lot of different people who make these rockers now and you got i think at some point you got to just decide what you're doing and do it but it's exactly you can there's so many different ways to do it now that you don't need to invent the wheel to find a way that works for you well and you don't
1: need to purchase the wheel either that's (laughs) one of the things that i've definitely come to understand you know uh there's basically never a tool that i've met that i've haven't been willing to welcome into my home, (laughs) Um, but at at a certain point in time, you got to say, well, you know, do I really need all those individual things? And, you know, there's, there's some things that, you know, in hindsight, if I had, if I'd been at the store, I definitely would have purchased them, but I didn't have them. I, you know, even though I don't really live all that far from a woodcraft, I live in Northern Virginia and, um, there's a woodcraft nearby, but, you know, traffic can be a pain for everybody Mm -hmm. everywhere. And, you know, getting myself, you know, to there was just, just annoying enough that I wasn't willing to do it so you know I didn't actually buy the one of the Cutsall carving disks I I you know I used the uh the modeler's rasp I used the um, the 12 grain or 12 inch 10 grain recommended rasp the oru the uh that Charles Brock suggested mm-hmm. and I've used the uh the rasp and that's it and, and you know okay. everything you know carving out the seat well so I take that back I had a uh, a pole shave that I actually used in the beginning which you know, I did mainly so that when I was taking off larger chunks of wood, I wouldn't have so much dust launching into the air uh-huh. when I did the seat blank. But in all honesty, you know, I once I got through that after a little while, I kind of put it off to the side and then I then I moved back over to the uh, to the RAS and did the majority the, of that. The RAS, you're
0: talking about the, the, the RAS one one five, the festival yep, sander? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And what do you what are you using on that for paper?
1: Uh, so I have the the twenty four grit sapphire. Okay. Sapphire. Yep. Uh,
0: How are you? Have say you it. Are you using the stock platen, or did you switch to the hard platen?
1: uh actually i i like the soft one uh okay. i got the hard one as well and you know i know that you can sort of carve into a little a bit more mm. but what i realized was that i was it was catching on me so you okay. know, i'd start to dig down a little bit and it would it would start to pull the deeper that it gets once you it's sort of you know created a little valley for itself and then i sort of rose up over top of the sides once and i had to bring the entire thing down not by much but just, just enough, enough. To, to get that thing gone again. And after that, I said, you know, I'm going to put the other one back in because since it adapts a little bit more, even if, you know, it starts to pull a little bit, it's not going to, you know, pull you off to the left. Right. And, you know, I'm right-handed. So, you know, it wants to go left on the hard pad because it just wants to race off, especially if you're sort of doing that down push angle.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, it's, but, it's, a, it's a very aggressive tool. I would oh, yeah. I would argue it's more aggressive than some of the cutsoles.
1: Yeah, well, I, I would absolutely agree, especially depending on how, you know, it, in some cases, a little bit too much speed is you know, more likely to catch. But, you know, on this thing, a little bit of extra speed actually has solved some of the problems that I had with, you know, that heavier grip paper. Uh, right. You know, you don't take advantage of all the torque that it has, but, you know, it, it's worked out pretty well for me. And, you know, it all the arm carving, you know, all the swooping and everything that I did, you know, flushing up the, the seat blank to the the back legs, you know, everything on there in terms of that type of work I did with the RAS. And I, you know, I, I was, I tried to be really careful about, you know, not creating any concave surfaces by getting too far in there. But, you know, I would take it to that level and I have the uh, RO90 and I'd throw, you know, some 80 grit paper on there and I'd use the hard pad there to make sure that I was, you know, keeping everything nice and level without getting too far in. And, you know, those two complemented each other pretty well for, you know, cleaning up a lot of that, that those marks. But, you know, I, I have 50 grit. Uh, paper for the RAS and Mm -hmm. I've got 80 grit and basically I use pretty much the 24 and the 80 and then you know I put it onto the rotary and then the random orbit using 80 for the uh, RO90 and it it worked pretty well
0: okay okay I've never I think I have 24 and 36 for my my RAS I've never done anything uh, anything finer than 36 with it because I I basically just use it for shaping
1: well and and I'll be honest I don't have a larger Rotex uh, otherwise I probably wouldn't have you know bought you know the 80 grit on there okay it actually does a pretty nice job i used the 80 when i was working on the headrest Okay, um, because it it does a really good job of allowing me to sort of round around the corners of the legs uh the top of the legs and you know get everything to to work just right because you know if you're trying to keep that line that sort of extends off the top um down onto the back of the headrest you know anything below 80 and, and you put yourself in the position of you know, just chewing that thing right away, and then to bring yeah. that back, you'd have to really drop the headrest down. You know, even more substantially than you did.
0: All right so. now, let me um, let's let me take you back for a second because um, okay. you're much further ahead in the build than I am. As I'm staring at a, three cardboard boxes that still have all my walnut in them. Sure. Um, your background. How long have you been woodworking? Uh, so in terms of furniture woodworking uh about
1: five yeah. years okay uh, just just about f- about five years uh my father is sort of a jack of all trades used to build houses he can do pretty much a little bit of everything so you know growing up around him he's you know he doesn't have a lot of tools but there's darn near nothing that he couldn't do with the few tools that he had and right. i mean he's literally helped build houses before so you know he, he comes to it with a lot of experience so you know i i I had a lot of DIY background. I'm pretty good at drywall. I can do some <laughs> electrical, you know, uh, I could stud out some frames, I, you know, just that type of work, mm-hmm. you know, helping people redo basements and, you know, more construction type work is where okay. I started before that, you know, coming out of college, I'm 35. Um, and, uh, that was what I did sort of, you know, as I got out of college, I was in the military for a little while. And, uh, you know, when I got out, I, just did a lot of stuff around the house helping other people. And then okay. as I sort of looked around, I said, hey, you, you know, I want – I have a desk job primarily. And you know, I wanted a little bit more of, you know, a tangible thing to hold at the end of the day to say, you know, this is what I did with my time. And it wasn't just, you know, keystrokes on a computer screen. Right. And, um, There's something know. to be
0: said for turning around at the end of the day and looking at what you did and seeing something.
1: There's there's a lot to be said for that, potentially more to be said for that than other things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that uh, after a, a few of those bigger construction projects, you know, we had this old, you know, it wasn't a brownstone, but, you know, built a lot of the same ways, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s construction.
0: Okay. But, you know,
1: not a lot of that stuff was really, you know. Once you take the walls down, you see what all these people over the decades have done to it to sort of scrap things together and, you know, putting a lot of that work into it to kind of say, you know, I feel good about what's behind these walls now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that satisfaction that I got sort of drove me to saying, you know, my wife needed a dresser basically. And she said, yeah, I'm going to go and buy one. And I said, you know, coming off the heels of a few bigger you know, projects of that nature, I said, hey, I could definitely do that. Let's see what can happen. Right. And then I did that. and. um in all honesty, uh, uh, Steve Marin, uh, woodworking mere mortals, mm-hmm. you know, he's sort of the first person that I kind of latched on to because he seemed more in that, that DIY crowd of, you know, here's an easy place to get started. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, some of these are complex, some of these are easier, but he kind of was a transition ramp and it very quickly went from him to, to Mark and his sites and, you know, it kind of took off from there and then i began consuming as much information as i could that i sort of hit that ramp overload where i said i got to start building some things cuz you know i know too much information not to have really done too many things in my in my background so i uh, right that's when i started just you know cranking out as many projects and once i proved to my wife that i actually had the ability to you know do more of like carpentry level work a lot mm-hmm. of built ins and that nature of things you know, she got a lot more supportive. So I took over a lot more of the garage okay. and as I took over more of the garage. She had bigger aspirations for some of the projects. So, you know, instead of smaller desks, it was a desk that was built into a larger built-in library bookcase and some larger kitchen level, um, bookcase pieces that were mainly for displaying, you know, kitchen item things, but also, you know, mixers and food processors in sort of a display stand kind of way. Okay, And then, uh you know, redid the, the dining room table. And, you know, I started just doing a few more of those things Then people at work started noticing that I was doing them. So they'd ask me to help out. And, you know, can you build this? Can you build that? Um, it's, you it know, has I, a probably a pretty, yeah, I mean, I, I think I have a, a pretty, you know, consistent storyline with a lot of other people who've kind of gotten into it these days. You know, I, I think the whole online woodworking thing is, you know, been a boon for people, you know, getting back to a sense where they feel like they can actually do something with their own hands.
0: It actually uh, You know. Well,
1: so, so that's pretty much my background. So,
0: if you've been making furniture proper for a couple of years, have you done a chair before?
1: Uh, I have not. Uh, okay. I, I went um, down the road of doing a lot of stools. Oh, okay. Um, and so. Uh, a lot of smaller ones, but I started off. You know, very first one I did was, you know, construction lumber two by fours that were, you know, kicked at fifteen degree angles, tenon into the top of a flat board, and then from there it became, you know, significantly more complicated ones where you have compounding angles, and I started doing some compounding dovetails, and then I started doing, you know, more of the, uh, 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 his name uh, David Marks style like the large dovetail. Uh, stool. Okay. Uh That style, I did a smaller version of it, you know. I figured if I can do the skill of the concept, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be as large, because, you know, I was building them for my kids. So, right. they have you know, exaggerated dovetails and, you know, sculpted top and curved legs, Uh but, you know, they're only 18 to 24 inches tall. Okay, and, uh, and with little and kids, then,
0: stools of that size are incredibly important.
1: Yeah, it, yep. Yep, when, you know, once one has them, then the other one has to have them. And then, you know, they want you to be down on that same level. So then the parents have them, but they have to be, you know, low enough but not too low. And so I did an, sort of an Asian-inspired one where um, it, it kind of has a sort of a, a, you know, a compound pagoda sort of look to it. Uh, okay. I took a few ideas from different people. So, you know, seating type of things I've, I've done in the past. Uh, but this is the first, you know, true chair build that i've actually done and it,
0: it sounds like you've done some shaping and sculpting on those pieces but you have have yep. you gotten into shaping and sculpting sculpt, sculpting a lot
1: uh I, i've definitely started to um uh, mainly on smaller pieces so you know a, for me you know translating some of those um the the size measurements comfort has has been definitely a little bit of a learning process. You know, you make too many quick turns on something, you know, on a larger scale and you're going to start having some problems. They're not necessarily going to be comfortable. Um, So this chair has definitely been an an education. And You know, don't get too carried away. Soft lines over longer distances are just as good as, you know, technically... Correct, but not comfortable at all sort of feature. So as I was sort of shaping my chair down, I actually created a few versions while it was thicker. So, you know, my arms were thicker right off the start. Okay. And I sort of worked my way down through various types of shapes um, until I got – Significantly thinner and a lot closer to basically what Mark was going for and sort of suggesting would be an ultimately a good goal. But I wanted to use that as an opportunity to say, well, you know, if I were just to do it without any instruction, you know, how would my arms turn out? And I had a lot of fun kind of going through how that worked because when you do the arms, there's only two points that matter in the slightest you know, the point where it connects to the front leg and the point where it connects to the back leg. Yep. other than that you basically have a large brick of do whatever you want right and uh I, I try to take that opportunity to sort of you know if you have the time and the the willingness to kind of waste a bit of it um i, I highly recommend that to anybody because mm. you know obviously when you clamp it down you're not going to be able to you know get a full feel for it but you can sort of see you know how people end up at that type of uh of a design and you know why that that's more comfortable than probably the 75 other versions that you sort of walked your way through where you might have swooped a little bit harder to the left. And then you sit down you realize it's poking you in the forearm that happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. um, You know, I, I mean, for me, this whole thing has been a a, a, just a great learning process to kind of see how these things go. I've gotten pretty good at square, (laughs) but
0: you know, the the compounding aspect
1: of all these curves has been a
0: curves. I, at some point, I personally find curves a touch more forgiving, but that's curves on a simpler scale. There's so many yes. pieces that have to fit together here that yep um I don't know if it'd be well even with a chair like this is so complicated, even if it was square, there'd be a lot to come together I um, mean when you but,
1: sit back and look at those back legs uh, when you're starting to get to that point and you realize you know the bottom piece has to be kicked at this you know it, rotated inward angled at this you know elevation angle it has to be you know facing off at this other you know angle once it comes forward so that the seat can match up the arms are going to be slightly different than that the headrest has to be kicked in but also rotated back i mean those those back legs are a a pretty impressive feat for you know obviously the guy who came up with this Mm. so you know that's it, when you stand back and you just look at that one piece of wood, you know, beyond that first statement that you'd say to yourself of, "Wow, I hope I hope I don't mess that <laughs> up because man, that's going to take a while to rebuild." But you know, it, it's just, it's it's pretty impressive.
0: To to talk about the legs and even to go back to the arms for a second, did you have? Uh, sure. Was it difficult to keep them uh, symmetrical? You know, when you're shaping one, do you find it you find it hard to bring the other one into a similar shape? Uh, I'll be honest. You know,
1: the biggest problem that I had with the arms um, was keeping them in the because um, basically when you build the arms it you in, in theory, it should be absolutely the easiest possible thing uh, because you basically have two cuts. Uh, one is, you know, the angle where you're going to slightly um, undercut it so that the the board sits slopes downward towards the front but uh-huh. then it also has to be cut in such a way that the back is angled to nicely meet up with the uh the piece that comes off the back leg uh you know so that they they sit nice and flush together so it should really only be two pieces but you know getting that thing to clamp in a position that it holds itself square so that you can you know, mark out the piece because you can't actually back it in and then, and mark the correct angle. So you sort of have to creep up on it, creep up on it. And as you start to set the piece, if it moves slightly, you overcut you start to have a few issues where it's just, you know, it's a little bit challenging. And then you that problem can sort of double back on itself when you start doing the glue up because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it is critically important that the, um, the rear leg joints when you're putting those things together. And for everybody who's not, you know, obviously, you know, an expert at this, that if it's like mine, their they're first true chair of, in this capacity, for sure. Um, you know, I I clamped up the rear seat joint in such a way that it was being pulled forward and it has to be pulled in so that you can, you know, initially, you know, drill them out so you can put your screws in so you can start building against it. But if you don't have it clamped, exactly as it's going to continue to be clamped over the entire duration of the chair Mm -hmm. when you glue it up later that slight variation can cause you know a compounding effect so you start gluing the arms in towards the end and if the legs have pulled slightly when you when you glued up the legs you know permanently you know that effect can you know you can try to over tighten it but You know, by the time that you've shaped it and you're actually gluing this thing together, you don't really have a lot of clamping surface to get too much extra. So you want it to be almost dead flush and just right without any glue or any clamps, even at the end once the back leg is in position. So, you know, you have to, you know, every step has to really be meticulous the whole way through. So, you know, and if you, you know, you start to shape something, don't double back on yourself And say, well, you know, I, and this was the problem that I had. So, you know, I watched the videos and I Mm -hmm. saw the way that Mark has was able to get it pretty darn close to flush on that rear leg joint. And, you know, if you could fit, you know, a 64th or just a tiny little sliver of something in there, if that's what's there up front, then as you build towards the arms and you have the arms done, you should really just leave the arms. As they are when you, or the leg, the rear leg, as it was when you were building it. Because I actually doubled back and said, well, you know, I think I can get that little extra bit and I can get that rear leg dead flush. Well, I did it after I'd already cut for the arms. And by doing so, I corrected the rear seat joint, which was only off by just a hair. Mm -hmm. But that hair then showed up in the arm joint when I glued it up later. Right. Right. And so, you know, these are, I mean, it's sort of the obvious thing, you can't cut something, it's going to have an effect later. But when you have all these compounding angles, and you've, you know, sculpted these things, places where, and other situations where you're doing a lot more square work, you could, you know, clamp that correction back into place. You know, you don't quite have, um, have all the ability to really get a good hold in such a way that you can clamp them back. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah, it does. I think so.
1: So, um. well, I mean, basically, it, the the front of the, the arms, it comes to basically a point. So Mark comes up with a nice little jig to sort of grab it and pull it back so you can flush that arm joint back up. But, you know, depending on how much of a point that you put on there and, you know, the clamps and the equipment that you have to really hold that in place. Um, I My bench, I only have access on one side. So, you know, basically, I was i was doing this on the floor so i had the uh the legs the front legs clamped on uh both sides where you know i had clamps pulling the arms down onto the front legs but then i also had them pulling from the arms back to the to the rear leg so pulling okay. it down and then back at the exact same time
0: and, right because uh, that's the two points where it connects one one exactly you down and one so
1: back. you know you know mark was able to do it on his bench so he had a little bit better of an angle when he was sitting there trying to adjust against that a little bit better of a surface to really make sure that everything was exactly flushed the way that it was. And, um, it, there's definitely a value, you know, to having a good clamping situation when mm. you're, when you're finally putting those things together. So
0: now doing uh, that. That's that all gets clamped up with F
1: style clamps. Uh, so I use parallel clamps okay uh, mainly because the, the top of my arm, where it connected on the front legs was just nice and flat, and the bottom was nice and flat, and so it, you know, it seemed like it would it work out pretty well. Uh, because it's basically a turned leg, uh, you know, you could definitely use an F-style clamp, and that might actually give you a little bit uh, more ability. Now, on pulling it back, that was where I, I I had a bit of a problem because, you know, you definitely have to make the jig that he that he came up with because that's the only way that you're really going to grab the front and pull it back in. Um, okay. But because of, you know, the fact that I was using the parallel clamps in the front and the jig took up a certain amount of space, I had a little bit of trouble getting the, the two sets of clamps not to overlap on each other as you're pulling the one back and the other one around because you you don't really go through the middle. It, it, when I did that, it was actually pulling the arms inward, so you want to have the clamps on the outside of the arms, Uh, as you're pulling it back to keep them nice and even out to the back of the chair. And that was, I think, just an artifact of the way that I have my arms sculpted, where they sort of curve inward. When you do that, it Mm -hmm. it makes it a little bit harder to get a flat surface in the back and the front to pull together to. Because the jig just wants to slide a little bit in each time. And when you do that, you know, it can cause a little gap on the outside of the rear seat leg because it's trying to pull the arm almost, you know, inward.
0: Right. So. And I'm assuming that's an ex- a bit of an extreme example, but there's no glue joints on this chair where things just simply fit together, right? You're kind of fighting them and um, and twisting oh, yeah. them together to to get the whole thing.
1: Absolutely. Through. But, you know, um, they, obviously it, it's a it's a compliment to Mark and sort of a, an evaluation point to judge yourself against when you when you watch the videos, He he didn't he did a pretty good job on his chair. So as you're watching these joints come together, you know, they're, they're pretty close to flush on, on his, on his chair. So, you know, as I'm sitting there trying to, you (laughs) know, get all these things to match up as closely as I can, uh, you know, I, I think I came pretty close on a lot of them. Uh, but there were a few of them and specifically getting, you know, one of the arms to line up, you know, right dead flush. And, you know, one of the If you use epoxy, I I would absolutely, you know, suggest that you do exactly what Mark said, which is, you know, put that 404 filler in because, you know, by the time I I had it all sanded out and smooth, it looked as if it was perfectly dead flush. But as I was clamping it up, you know, I I was testing it out because, you know, I had it uh, basically 85 to 90% flush, but there was a corner in there that I just... I couldn't get the clamps to sort of rotate back out to, uh-huh. to pull in that direction, but the epoxy held it pretty well. And then, you know, the, the screw was sort of after the fact, but I think the screw had actually helped flush it up as I was building the chair out. Okay. Um, and then, so because he suggests that you don't use the screws until after the epoxy's hardened, I wasn't able to necessarily correct, you know, it, it didn't self correct. So I tried to clamp to correct that little point where it was pulling away. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that it was actually the epoxy that really fixed that one small corner on that right side on the arm. Um, I'm not so sure uh, that it's actually as flush as it appears to be right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to go calling that out to every single person that looks at my chair. But, (laughs) you know, as you're getting ready to do this, that's, you know, the, the finer the point that you put on those arms and the more sculpted that they are you know, just remember, you're going to have to put some pressure on that, that arm and you're going to have to bring it back and you're going to have to push it down. You're going to have to do all four at the same time in such a way that you're not rotating it. And, you know, Mark's point is it's more important to get it glued in position than it is to get it screwed up to that position at that time. Mm. So, um, you know, if, if the screws were helping you without you realizing it, You'll figure it out right there in the end. You start <laughs> gluing it up, and things aren't exactly where you thought that they were, uh, because you know I even did a dry run. You know I threw the screw in there, assuming that that would be an accurate representative sample of what it would look like once I had it all glued and you know pulled back. But there were definitely uh, a couple smaller spots. But yeah, okay. I mean that that you know there were a couple points in this chair where I definitely said you know. If I were to do it again, I would do a couple things differently. and One of them had to do with, you know, the way that I did those arms in the very first place. I tried to make them perfectly flush without any extra on the rear. I mean, even if you're talking like a thou or two, that's –
0: You need some things that you can can bring it down, don't you? What's that? You need some excess there so that you can work it down to be flush. Don't you leave a little bit of excess on both? The leg Uh, and the back? I guess the so, arm and the back leg?
1: I didn't, uh, because as Mark was sort of building it up, you know, he had it, you know, it, it was pretty much flushed in the back and flush in the front. So, you know, once he put the screw in there, all it did was hold it, you know, tightly in place, but it was pretty well flushed up, or at least that's how it appeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and the front was fine being flushed because, you know, you, you can set the dowel in there to hold it in place so that you know exactly how, you know, the front, how it's going to sit so that you can... You know, even before you're even sculpting it, even when it's a nice big block of wood, as soon as you drill it out, you can throw the dowel in there and you know exactly how it's going to sit relative to the back, or at least you think it's going to be right there. But when you trim the back initially, don't try for flush. That's what I would suggest because you can have a little bit of wiggle room um, when you're, you know, screwing it together without having a longer impact. It's better to have a problem where it's pushing forward by a tiny bit on the front of the chair, then realize that you're trying to pull the back of the chair up by even a thousand or two when you're doing the glue up, because that's more challenging than it is to have a little bit of extra and have it sit tight. Um, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. That I so, think so.
1: Yeah. I, basically I tried for flush on the front leg and the rear leg and
0: okay.
1: I would have given anything for about two thousandths more <laughs> on the rear so that it, I potentially could have clamped, you know, in that farther corner, even if it meant just slightly, you know, adjusting it outward because it was just a little bit too short because I tried to make it dead flush. And then I adjusted uh, the base by just a tiny bit where it actually met the seat. And I, I sort of created a, a bit of an issue.
0: So. Okay. All right. So now you're you've followed through with Mark's steps and um, you're going from square blocks of wood, tracing out shapes, bandsaw cutting, and then shaping with sanders and rasps. Is that the process you're going through? Yep. Okay. That's Um, definitely correct.
1: And I know I went on a bit of a tangent there about those arms, but, you know,
0: that was,
1: I I think the the long and short is just, add a tiny bit extra, you know?
0: Yeah. But <laughs> but also yeah. that point you're describing is one of the critical points of assembling the whole chair. Yes. Um, so I think it, it's certainly worth a little bit of discussion. Yeah. Yep. Um, you're at the point now where your whole chair is assembled. Is that right? It is. Yep. That's absolutely correct. I, um, you know, the last thing that I
1: did uh, other than building the template was, you know, I ended up putting the plugs in um, and, you know, it, the way that Mark did it, he he bought a, a tapered plug cutter and then cut out his plugs and then basically plugged them in with some epoxy. Uh, I did mine a little bit differently, which sort of leads me to my, you know, concern number two, which okay. is a good thing, but it's also a challenging thing. And, You know, there's a couple other people that you know I follow on Instagram, and I, you know, I get the sense that potentially they also, you know, had a couple issues with these, and that's that Veritas, the the tenon cutter. Um, That is a a fantastic and, you know, surprisingly difficult tool to use just right, if you're not careful with it. Uh, Because, you know, for one, the cutter works amazingly if you get it just right. And you'll know if it's working just right because, you know, it'll put perfectly smooth. It won't have any tear out. You know, it'll be able to drive through and it'll come out in a pretty consistent fashion. I mean, you could actually make dowel rods out of that thing all day long and it should be relatively comfortable. Mine came, you know, not set up at all. And technically I was able to jam it through. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm glad I made a couple extra spindles. I was going to say you,
0: you tore one of them out, didn't you?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and I basically cracked that thing off. And I didn't really even notice, you know, it wasn't like I was sitting there, you know, gritting my teeth, doing everything I could to sort of, you know, jam that thing in there. It just, you know, it held, it cut, it felt tight, and then it just popped right off. And I looked at the grain, and the grain wasn't sideways. So it's not... Um, you know, it, that wasn't necessarily the case, but, right. you know, that by the way, is one of those things where you realize that the grain direction of the spindles, uh, mm-hmm. as we're putting them together is hugely important. Um, because, you know, if, if you have some sideways grain and that grain happens to be at the top of the tenon where it connects into the headrest and you're only at three eighths round and it's, you know, that grain went sideways, you could easily just pop those things off left, right, and sideways and, you know. You want to have a frustrating day, realize (laughs) that you put some wild grain and it just happened to land itself out at the top side of that. You know, where on the bottom you have a little bit more at the half inch side. Okay. Thankfully, you know, uh, know, that, you know, especially since you're sitting there starting out at the beginning of this thing, there's a few places where, you know, you could definitely get away with having a little bit more squirrely grain. But those spindles, you know, I can't say enough about, you know, even the legs, if they were not perfectly straight up and down. Obviously you want that for the overall strength of the chair, but just in terms of the build process of the chair itself, you know, you'll know very quickly if you picked the wrong boards for the (laughs) spindles because, you know, of all the pieces that I wanted to, you know, that I would have wanted to had I not sort of, I put five minutes of effort into it. If I knew how important they were, I would have put five hours of, of time into it. If, If I had thought that that was, you know, if I'd realized what I was doing, I would have known to make sure that I do it, or at least tried to do it better. I lucked out, mm-hmm. but you know that luck is never a good way to build something. No, because but he said, but you know, luck comes with down. an
0: experience.
1: Exactly. Yep. So, uh, but mm-hmm. basically, when I did that, one of them twirled right out. There's, I saw another guy who had two of them uh, that had obviously spun out in, in a similar type of fashion. Okay, and you know that was possibly just from the way that the actual grain was going. But, you know, when you start seeing some of these things, because it's not just the tenant cutter that can actually cause you a problem if the grain direction on those spindles isn't good. You don't realize until the end that when you're putting, uh, not all the way at the end, but when you build those spindles, mm-hmm. I had this understanding or sense, uh, which turned out to be mistaken, that your spindles would nicely line up with the openings of the headrest. Oh. I perfectly. That is not the case.
0: You That's actually, why you're using the tapered cutter in that tenant maker, isn't it? So that exact, you've got a little, yeah, I thought
1: them. it was just, this is a good, you know, this is a good cutter to set those plugs into, uh, because it's a little bit more forgiving. I didn't realize that it was, you know, critically important because it, if they weren't tapered and, you know, even though you're, it's tapered when you do it, you know, you're still going to probably end up filing a bit off because you that whole thing gets pushed forward and is under, you know, a certain level of tension. So, you know, even if you're lucky enough to use that tenor tenon cutter and the grain direction that you picked isn't opportune, you know, you could find yourself popping that thing off as soon as you push that, the seat back forward, okay. because, you know, you, there's definitely some tension and, you know, I think five of my seven, had, you know, had no real issue, but two of them I had to take, I had, you know, carefully take back out cause I can, you know, you feel that extra pressure and you can sort of, you know, by rotating them slightly, you can tell which ones you're having some issues with. And I was able to get those back out and, you know, file them a little bit more to make sure that they were just right, um, in such a way that, you know, they, they could lean a little bit more forward without, you know, catching on the back edge and potentially cracking on me.
0: To um, the, um, do they have a lot of play? You know, when you when you lean back at them, are they are they stiff or do they they move a lot? Oh, they
1: give. Yeah, they're de- they definitely give um, it, in a good way, and mm-hmm. it's a pretty consistent pressure across. Uh, and I think that's you know one of the ways that you can tell how well you were able to ultimately get that seat of the uh, the bottom ten in um, mm. because you know it's only attaching at three eighths at the top, and so by the time you've actually formed the top in. You know, you don't have a whole lot of material at the top. The majority of your weights at the bottom. So when you lean back, it's pushing down and into the seat. Uh right. more so than you know, pushing back on the top of the headrest because you know, the rockers ultimately forgive that type of movement.
0: Mm. I, I just I know a couple of guys who make the back slots out of uh, laminations rather than a single piece. And sure. their their argument is that they, they give more. And I, I
1: would agree with that. You um, you can you could definitely see that, but um I mean, I, I have I've never sat in one of those styles, mm-hmm. um, so I, I you know I can't compare it. Um, there's definitely let me say there's give to the seat back, so there's comfort there, but there definitely isn't so much give that you can really feel a spring back when you sit into the chair. Okay, so I I I definitely could see why somebody might end up doing a lamination for that
0: instead. Okay, okay now it's assembled. You're you're how far into your shaping? Uh, so I feel
1: pretty good about um, pretty good about the arms. I, I like the way that they were able to sort of turn into each other. Um, you know, I'm at the point where you know, as far as I'm concerned, the spindles are done, with the exception of you know, cleaning them up. You know, as uh, I might even do a little bit of grain raising on this and just knock them back again. Uh, you know, spritz it with some water or something that way. You know, at some point in time, whenever I do the finish, I have that, you know, across the entire chair. But, um, the only thing that I I definitely want to do a little bit more work on is, um, the bottom of the, uh, the the rear seat legs. I want to, they're still a little bit more blocky than I wanted them to be. Okay. Um, but did you turn them? I did not, not on the rears.
0: Uh, but you turned your front legs.
1: I did. I turned my front legs, which was, I'll tell you what, an interesting process. You have to have the right kind of a lathe to pull that off. I have a Jet 1221, okay. and I had the, uh, the the sliding stock halfway on with nothing but, I'd say, 90% of the, the bolt holding it on to the bed. Oh. Um, so it was on there. I mean, <laughs> I pushed up against it, so... I wanted to make sure that it was fully on there, but it was at the absolute maximum capacity that that way it could possibly handle. Uh, Now you might be able to do it a little bit differently. Um, The way that, um, uh, that Mark did it. um, He actually, he turned it out and then drilled it. I actually drilled it because I was concerned Uh about potentially having enough room. And uh, 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 Carl uh, Jacobson, I think, I hope I don't get his name wrong. Uh he uh he's a big online wood target. Yeah. And you know, he's a big proponent of using uh jam chucks. And so okay. that worked fantastically for me. So for anybody who's concerned about turning in the round to exactly where you actually did your your hole, like if you're concerned, you know, I'm gonna drill this hole out and then you're gonna go, you know chuck it up onto a lathe you don't want to do an off-center turning by accident where you know the center of the hole doesn't quite match up because then right. when you put the leg in you're going to be off and your arm is no longer going to connect in just the right way um so by using a little bit of a jam chuck basically just to you know turn a point on a piece of wood that's big enough so that it can sit uh, relatively well centered within that half inch hole that you drilled into the top And that Mm -hmm. jam chuck will actually, you know, it'll make it perfect. So when you turn that thing into the round, you know, your outside cylinder is dead, you know, dead right to your half-inch hole that you drilled out. And uh, I used a standing drill press to push that thing out. So the front legs I feel fantastic about because, you know, I, I got a good turning all the way top to bottom because I did that trick. That, okay. you know, that's his, I mean, he's not obviously the only person, but that's where I got the idea from for sure. Um,
0: yeah. and that worked well. The way you say that you feel fantastic about the front legs, do you feel less fantastic about the back legs?
1: Uh, no, well, um, in all honesty, I, because I was off just a hair, uh, on the back, which if I'd realized, you know, how effective that, that epoxy could be, had I, you know, when I did the rear leg, uh, and it's actually the joint where I did the, um, uh, you know, you, you basically you're, um, I pretty much just had a little bit of, a little bit of a gap and okay. all of the things being equal, it wouldn't have been a problem. And, you know, I continued building out the chair cause I said, oh, I'm absolutely fine with this. But then once you get 40, 50 more hours into it, and then you get to a place where you're once again, looking at that joint, getting ready to sort of move on to the next step and, you know, make it permanent. You you know, I got to the point where I said, you know, I bet I can fix that. But, you know, like I said, at the beginning, that became a compounding problem where I needed to feel, you know, you needed to get that fixed. And by fixing it, I had a couple more issues. And, you know, at the end of the day, had I just left it exactly as it was, use the epoxy, you know, as he said, because, you know, I'm only talking about a couple thousands tops and it wasn't even the entire width because you know i finessed the round over with a rasp after i got done with done with it because it was it was really close okay Uh, so it wasn't even as if it was a couple thousand all the way across the front Uh, and it was the back right rear leg it was just actually a little bit of a a dip and i think that just had to do with the way that the the router you know cut it out when it did it i think it just didn't ride perfectly on the bearing Mm -hmm. And so it just had a little bit of just a tiny bit more. And, you know, it, you try to be a perfectionist when you're working on something like this and sometimes it can actually be a little bit more problematic. So while my front legs, you know, I drilled them out perfect. They went in the round perfect. They set dead flush perfect into the, uh, into the front joint. And, you know, I had zero issues with that with those whatsoever because, I tried to fix one thing that, in all honesty, epoxy would have made disappear, and I would have had none of those other issues had I just let it go. Um, I haven't. Because I went back and I tried to re-round it slightly. The seat seat, uh, sat – the rear leg sat slightly forward. Okay. once because you know the top of the leg is much higher so even that tiny little bit caused the entire top to sit slightly forward which meant that the arm which was flush is now has a slight gap on it for, because you know that compounded and, and you know there you go so you know i felt better about the front simply because it was right from the start and at the end of the day i corrected the rear leg but it was it, it was a constant process to get it back to fixed So, you know, what I ended up having to do is, you know, adjust the way that the arm was sitting, adjust the way that the joint sat. I mean, I just a whole host of problems that (laughs) added an entire day's worth of work, you know, in the end. And so, you know, when I say, which ones do I feel better about? Well, the ones I got right in the first try.
0: (laughs) That I can appreciate. You say a day's work. How many days into this are you? How many hours do you have into the chair so far?
1: You know, uh I'd say I've committed at least six or seven full solid ten hour days and you know more three to four hour, you know, days than I, I could probably count. I'd say at least on the order of you know fifteen, maybe twenty days of you know, four hour days. Uh so I, I'm easily at a hundred, maybe 105 or so i'd say total and i still have to do you know the glue up of the the rocker laminations but oh, you know, okay. had, um, and that's the sort of the last piece that i have to do right now is you know i've got the template piece all cut out and um you know i've got everything ready to go to slice it up and run it through the bands or the drum sander i've got that ready to go um but i you know obviously you have to do the laminations one at a time then you have to do the final elimination of the connecting piece to the to the actual rocker bed itself. Um, so,
0: yeah, right. But at this point, I have to believe that the uh, the rails, while while not easy per se, are dramatically simpler than some of the other pieces you've done, like joining the arms to the back and the front at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, and you know, and that kind of got to the the point of you know. Those pieces are challenging because you're sort of you're making one leg piece at a time and you're making, you know, the seat blank and they're all individually made that, you know, you put together and one relies on the last. But, you know, once you start putting clamping forces and everything, they all compound against each other. The good thing that I'm hoping for with the rocker is that, you know, that's, you know, two points of connection in one individual piece that's based off a template that, you know, I feel pretty good about. Um, and I've checked that thing over a few times so I, I have a good arc from you know point A to point b um, so I, you know I, I feel pretty good about how that should all go
0: okay um, and once you get them on what do you uh, what do you plan to sand up to and how do you plan to sand it
1: well actually I uh, you know that's a great question hold on a second i okay. I just uh, let me because I just ordered it don't want to actually get this part there's a uh, a double-sided pad set that i purchased you know so uh i'm going to machine sand up to 400 using okay. the ro90 uh i mean that's kind of the easy obvious choice for me because you know, it, and I'll. You even yep. use the. I have the interface pad, mm-hmm. so I figured that should do a now, pretty good job. when
0: you to talk about the R ninety for a minute, will you sand the whole thing in Rotex mode, or will you put it in random orbit mode? Uh, I'll put the.
1: Put, I'll actually do both. Um, all the way up to about uh, I think two. Yeah, so up to about two twenty, I'll do a Rotex, and then I'll follow that Rotex up with um,
0: the. Uh, uh, putting it in random orbit you know, mode. On the narrow pieces, when you're getting little contact and it's in random orbit, you stole the pad. How do you deal with that?
1: Uh so I don't I don't know if I get, get your question on that one. Okay. When but
0: you're you're doing a narrow piece, like say you're sanding the front of the front light and okay. the entire pad is not in contact. You're using the interface pad and you're touching like uh, Oh yeah, like the know, front a quarter inch 20% down yeah, the length yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah. You yeah. f- you'll find that the pad will stop spinning and just wiggles back and forth. Yep. Yep. Um so how do you how do you deal with that?
1: Uh in all honesty, I I just do a light touch and just kind of see how much I can get and usually that only right. gets the the center of it. Um it, It doesn't really do very well to the outside because, you know, I try to do everything that I can, which, you know, is typically not what they say to do when you're, you know, using that type of a sander. You don't want to come up on the nose of it uh, whenever possible. But, you know, if you put that full down repression, pressure, it is going to create a round over that I don't want. Mm. Uh, But, you know, if I kick it up at maybe 50 or 60 degrees, you know, I should be able to get sort of the middle two thirds of that lamination just as – in some state, mainly as a reference point for when I grab, uh, I just have one of those the hand sanding pads as well, the little uh, the the round sanding pads that Festool sells. Okay, um, I and, and I have the hard one and the soft one where you you can take the round uh, sanding pads and then basically strap it around there, and I use the hard one. Uh, but by throwing it on the the RO ninety first, even with that interface pad, it it gives me a, a frame of reference for how you know what it should look like on the outside because I noticed that you know sometimes when I start doing the hand sanding because you know obviously you can't you don't have any dust extraction it sort of loads up the pores especially on walnut and I can't see you know all the place you know is that Mm. really as well sanded as I thought it was or not really but by just sort of running it through uh, you're able to get at least a good strip um, you know front to back even on thinner laminations of because, I, you know, I have done a few uh, of the, uh, the laminations before. And okay. even on a thinner one, you can't see, uh, you know, this is is a target. Uh, if you go, if you try to do that too far, you know, obviously you're going to create a round over and I don't want to do that. But at least then when I start throwing the harder pad on there, I can kind of. I can work it in and I could say, you know, try to put a little bit more pressure to the outside. Uh, and I, it, basically I rotate that hand pad 90 degrees and I, you know, I do it sideways. I don't do a solid front to back, um, okay. which, you know, potentially induces the you know, creating a concave surface in the center. Uh, but then when you come back later and do just a couple swipes, you know, parallel rather than perpendicular with that hard pad and, it'll knock that tiny little bit out. Um, especially if you're not like putting too much downward pressure and then, it, you know, it'll smooth it out pretty
0: well. Right. Right. Okay. So that's, so you'll sand, you'll go through with the RO 90 first and then the rest by hand with yes. those heads. Yep. Yep. Okay, yep. And you're saying you, you go up to 400 with the RO what grit do you go up to by hand?
1: Uh, so my goal is to go up to 4,000. Uh, and okay. I, uh, and that was mainly, I, bought a set of uh the, they're actually 3M uh, double-sided pads. uh They're like the little square pads, multi-color set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, basically that's all going to be by hand. And at that point in time, it's such a high grid, I don't, you know, even though it's, you're basically just holding the pad, you know, my intention isn't to really to go too far. You know, it's sort of at the point of burnishing. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, there's a... Uh, I can't. There's it, I'm going to mess the gentleman's name up. Not Charles Brock, but the uh, the the uh, the master is the masterpiece finish set. Uh, it's that three part finishing. Oh, that that's, that's is, is that
0: not? Um, is loose? it Charles Brock? Are you, I don't somebody know. Somebody Brock and most both Same. have a finish. I, I don't know which one's which. But,
1: yeah, that, that exact one, that three-part rocker finish, uh-huh. uh, that's my intention is is to do that one. And that's okay. basically sort of an oil base. So, you know, the, the finer that you can get it. And, right. Uh, well,
0: you know, you'll need to listen to my talk with Paul Leminski because he burnishes at 500 grit.
1: Okay. At only at 500?
0: Yeah. He stands up to 500. That's as far okay. as it is. Really? Uh, um, yeah.
1: Okay. after that. Well, and now this set, just so you know, it, it's a uh, it's, uh, 5, 1200, 2, and 4.
0: So Okay, so you're not, going, not you got a ton of step uh, no, the, no, no, oh, no, no, right no. Yeah, yeah, what he does after 500, he actually does 500 twice with two different okay. machines, and then what he does after 500, he uses a lambswool pad. Okay, goes over it with that, with no, um, no buffing compound on it at all. It's a dry pad. And oh, okay. He goes over it with the dry pad and. And calls is done. And then it will okay. just finish on. But
1: Yeah, no, no, this isn't, I mean, normally like if you think sanding through the grits, you're at 6, fifteen, eighteen, two, twenty-five. 12, 15, 18, 2, 25, that, no, that's no. it's not, it's not that. Uh, it's just basically, you know, and I only have two pads of each individual grit for the entire chair. So okay. it's more of a light glazing, uh, you know, so pretty much, you know, the, the random orbits of, to 400 to the extent that I can and then you know switching over and doing you know by hand uh brilliant 400 uh and then after that it's these you know these double pads where it's just trying to take it that extra little bit so at the end of the day I may not necessarily be you know ultimately you know as smooth as deep within the wood as obviously right. he's doing uh but you know at the end of the day I, I think to the layperson and probably to myself it'll feel pretty I I think
0: I think you're going to be arguably smoother than he is. I I didn't mean it as a. um, Oh well, no,
1: but I mean you know if you, you know if you really take it to 500 all the way around in random orbit, it'll probably end up doing that because you know he's working out even some of those 400 scratches, you know, with two pads and you know to the extent that it is, it definitely you know I get. I could see the case potentially going the other way. You know, it might feel smoother, but, you know, if you really get in there and look, you'll see a few of those deeper scratches. Yeah. So you'd really, I mean, the, the only person who's going to notice that is, you know, another woodworker and, you know, <laughs> typically they know not to say anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in in terms of those scratches, walnut is fairly forgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because you know, telling the difference between that open grain structure and just a little bit of scratching, you know, that's the trick of sanding too. You know, always go with the grain as best you can, and you know, half the time you won't notice yourself.
0: Right, right.
1: And that is one of the good things. You know, I do have pretty good access to walnut around here; that's not too expensive. Okay, all things considered.
0: Um, all right. Well, let me ask you one more question, and then I'll try to wrap this up. We've been We've been going at it for about an hour now. Um, But in terms of the sizing, um, you used the template. So I'm assuming yours is, you know, with the variance of the hand sculpting, yours is basically the same size as Mark's. Yeah. um, Which I'm I'm sure sure is the same size as Charles's, which is probably the same size as somebody else's. Yeah. Is it the right size for you?
1: Uh, So if I sit in the chair and I I sit – all the way back up so that my back is pretty much fully flush all the way. And I'm, I just sat down in my chair to answer your question. The top of my head is exactly at the top of the headrest. So, you know, it, in terms of the overall width, it, I think the arms are slightly, you know, closer in that I potentially might otherwise do, you know, I'm, I'm about six feet tall, 180 pounds, you know, okay. not particularly much in any direction. Uh, but I, pro- I might have actually flared the arms out just a, a little bit more. And um that was one of the things that I really liked about the, the low back uh dining mm. room chair. Yeah, you see how flare much. Quite a bit. Exactly. They flare out quite a bit. And, you know, I had all the material in the world to have done that at the time. Uh But if you, you know, it, and I'll tell you what, the way that Mark walked you through the um, the way that he did the sculpting and the way his use of reference lines, you know, is absolutely fantastic. And you know, I feel like I have very consistent arms. You know, I'd be hard mm-hmm. pressed to say, you know, this arm is you know too far off of that arm, or you know, this one drops down a little, you know, an inch and a half forward of the other one because I didn't realize. No, I mean, I think point to point because. You know, just that process really does a good job of making sure that one side is consistent with the other side. Right. Um, but that said, you know, if I were to do it again, I would have absolutely positively used, you know, the processes that he, he suggests. Just not the
0: exact same shape.
1: Exactly. Um, it, it, and Because these arms, they're a bit narrow. And that's one of the other things I, I've seen other people who make them. In fact, I think, uh, the Canadian work, woodworking guy, um, he, uh, his arms are a little bit flatter and a little bit wider, uh, okay. especially at the front, right on the nose over the forward, um, forward seat. And they yes. seem just a little bit wider. So these have a little bit more of an arc to them. I mean, they're, they still, you know, they're still very comfortable, but I probably would have flared them. Back at the elbow line, just you know, even half inch, three quarters of an inch, you know, I, I think it would have, you know, much like the rest of this chair, a compounding effect. You know, you make that little bit of an adjustment, and you know, like I said, there's not, uh, there's only two points of connection. So as long as you don't ever touch the point where it touches the front leg or the touches the back, you know think about how far out your arms really want to sit and where your Mm -hmm. elbow is going to catch because my elbow actually sits just inside of the little gullet that, you know, I intentionally created to match the template. Um, had I made that a little bit wider and set it back, you know, about a half an inch, the actual ball of my elbow would have, you know, caught that and it wouldn't be sort of sitting right back in that spot when you sit all the way back in the chair. Okay. Um, now, maybe, you know, having said that, in my mind, that seems like it's a comfortable thing. But, you know, there's you a reason it. that they make 4,000 prototypes. Somebody might have sat in it and said, yeah, you know, make this cut out there because I don't want my elbow sitting on top of that. I feel like it's digging in and I'm not comfortable. So, you know, in my mind, I think it might be a little bit nicer. But, you know,
0: so, c- yeah, consider you have
1: it the and think it it's through. hard to tell. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think you can... You, you know, not that you're necessarily going to make two, but I'll tell you what, by the time you get to the point where I'm at, I know all the different things that I would have done slightly differently well,
0: that, and all the
1: things that I feel a little bit better
0: about. That gets into my, my last question is you're almost done. I'm assuming you're going to finish this before you jump into anything else major, but yeah, um, yep. will you build a second?
1: Uh, I, in all honesty, this is uh, I have two little kids, um, and this has been a significant time. Uh sort of project you know I try to do quite a few projects and I've done some very large built-ins that have taken one-fifth the amount of time yeah. uh, that this individual I'm project is taking yeah so you know size of a project does not equate to the time of a project um, but in all honesty I learned so much from building this and you know there's my wife and I so we've got one now well, <laughs> if we ever want to sit together you're know, probably going to need a second and and That's the other half of it. There's a lot of time that was spent, you know, building good templates and building good bending forms and, you know, doing things that, you know, took on the order of a couple days to, you know, two and a half days just unto themselves to get ready to actually make the part and cut the part. Um, Right. And because you've already got that by the time you are done this project, it's a lot easier to justify doing a second one. Uh, because you've those those aren't there's going to be non factors the second right time the second
0: one will be not only faster but it'll be cheaper because you've already bought the tools
1: you, you've got well you've bought the tools and it, you know it, that faster component of you know just the effect of having all these th- these templates done you know I spent four hours yesterday building out the actual bending form uh you know getting the seat blank just right to how you want to have it you know that takes a little bit of time doing dry runs of cutting out the uh, the leg joint on the table saw. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Mark gives two options. One of them is by creating a little bit more of a standardized router jig version, and the other one is on the table saw, where you know, he, that's the way he did it. He said he felt more comfortable doing it. Isn't that's st- on that's his, the only way
0: I've ever seen it done, is on the table he, saw.
1: Yep, so he actually has a whole other video. Um, uh, the other gentleman that I, I think he's had helping him in the shop at various other points, I mm-hmm. think, uh, came up with a, a router jig, basically, that You know, you can build out, it allows you to permanently, well, not permanently, but, you know, clamp it right in place over top of where you want to cut out the grooves for for the actual joint fixture on the legs. Uh, Because, you know, it, it is definitely a bit of a trick when you take those back legs, turn them sideways, and then you know, hold it in such a position because the legs are flared upward in both direction with the exception of where the actual joint is, which is pointed straight down. Mm. Um, And so to cut that joint, you actually have to clamp another board to each end so that it has a stable platform and it doesn't want to tip over because you don't want to be trying to cut, you know, grooves on the table saw and have the thing tipping left or right. Right. Um, I mean, imagine taking a V and trying to cut the bottom out of a V Mm -hmm. on a table saw without this wide V tipping over on you. Um, And so basically his jig version is, you know, you flip the V upside down, you put a router template on the top and you clamp it in place, and then you very, you know, carefully and easily, you know, groove it out. Uh, And in all honesty, if I had that jig at the time available to me, I would have – you know, I would have done that. But, you know, for me, I, I just, you know, I have a pretty good, uh, um, uh, table saw sled that I was able to really, you know, clamp this thing to. And I, I felt confident in the fact that it wasn't going to you know pitch one way or the other. Okay. Uh, but you know, it, it, confident enough that I wasn't willing to spend more time to build that one jig just to <laughs> do that one function. Uh, but you know, had that, you know, had I started to do it and felt slightly off, yeah, I could easily see why you'd want to do that because it definitely is a more repeatable way of getting that perfect, you know, sizing, uh, you know, right there from the start, rather than trying to creep up on it and, you know, you walk back, you check, and then you walk back to the table saw, you know, slice a little bit more and walk back over and, you know, keep checking it. This way, you're—it's almost like um, uh, the kerf maker. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine a router jig version of that, but the kerf that you're making is the perfect size for the opposing joint on the chair seat. Um, it's that kind of a concept where, you know, it's, you know, you're creating that perfect joint by having the the other size already, you know, sized out, uh, in, in it. But, uh, you know, for me, I, that was, that was one of those things, but, you know, looking at all the, the individual templates that I have and you know there's a couple places you know there's one place where i just made a you know an absolute freshman mistake of you know i wrote one number down and meant to write another number down uh and it was actually at the very beginning i uh the legs are a certain length and i you know i cut two of them and i said this is great and i threw it on the uh table saw and i cut the other ones out and just as i was getting ready to look at it i I looked up my board and I said, "Okay, this is perfect." You know, they they seat just right, and I hadn't, you know, I wasn't too far in, but I realized I was a half an inch off. Oh, and so it was simply a matter of I had two numbers next to each other, and I looked once and I cut once instead of looking <laughs> twice. Right. Um, but the same. yeah, it, exactly. So, you know, that's I mean, that's just a silly mistake that happens to everybody at some point in time. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think having gone through all these individual steps, I feel significantly more confident to go back around. And, you know, a lot of the fidgeting that I did to say, well, does this have to be like this places where I was really concerned that certain things had to be just right really mm-hmm. didn't matter at all. Uh, right. you know, I'm sitting there trying to hug the line of the middle section of the back leg, uh, and concerned that, you know, I went over the line, well, I'm going to, I'm going to grind that thing off completely in, you know, three weeks from now. So who cares? (laughs) Uh, And, um, I mean, and that was really, it is just because this is my, you know, the first time that I've made this particular chair, you know, I can only imagine for some of those people who make, you know, a couple dozen of these things, just, you know, how, how good of a routine you could really create, uh, to make these things. Right. Right. So and the answer is uh, yeah. I'm definitely going to make another one, uh, but just not tomorrow. Just not tomorrow. You know, there, I, I've, I'm creating a nice spot to put all these templates in because you know I can't justify not doing it for one because <laughs> it was it was probably one of the most enjoyable things that I've actually made. Um, you know, for anybody who out there who really loves you know purchasing tools and you know just making things in general. You know, I I have a two car garage. I filled it up with you know, things that I love using, like all these great tools. And, you know, rarely is there a project that calls upon almost every single one of them. And mm. this, you know, I, I I have a scroll saw that I don't, that I did not use on this project. And that's the only tool in my garage. I mean, okay. I use the drill press, the lathe my chop saw the band saw the table saw the i'm about to use the drum sander i've used the joiner and planer dozens of times rasps chisels files hand saws i mean if you like using tools and you really (laughs) you know want to be able to you know the router table you know flex the the opportunity to really get in there and you know not just have the tools and, you know, use them a little bit for this project and a little bit for that, but you feel like you're, you know, full blown in the thick of, you know, you know, a making experience. And, you know, that's one of the, the greatest things about this chair is, you know, I know I'm new to the experience. I know there's certain things that I've actually, you know, had problems with that otherwise, you know, more experienced individuals might not have, but, you know, the the sense that I got as I was building this really made me feel like I was, you know, farther along in the process and at a place where, you know, I, you know, I learned so much from doing this that I, you know, there's not a project going forward or a tool that I own that I won't think back to how I use it on this project and ways that I could do it differently on future projects. And because it used all those tools that it it worked great.
0: All right. Well, in that, uh, and then homage to tools, I think we'll wrap it up. <laughs> well, you know, so, um, there it is. Dan, I really appreciate your you uh, your sitting down and talking to me and going over this chair. Um, you may be that much more eager to jump into it. Unfortunately, it is other projects that I have commitments to people outside myself for sure. that's keeping yeah. me from it. But um, I certainly can't wait. And I think that uh, it's a good insight to talk to somebody who's not – you know producing instructional videos on it about how to make the chair. Um
1: yeah. I I mean
0: not that I won't talk to Mark also, but it's it's always nice to talk to somebody who's down in the trenches actually building it and seeing how it's going.
1: Well and you know you can take (laughs) what I say from the perspective of, you know, someone who knows not much more than what I'm being told. So if (laughs) you're trying to use that to do you know, to make this project and you, you know, potentially you don't have experience in certain other avenues. And this is just for anybody else who happens to listen to this, you know, these are some of the challenges that I had and some of the things that I would, you know, I look at very cautiously kind of going forward, right. You know, Take that Veritas tenon cutter and, you know, play with it, <laughs> you know, spend an hour with it when you're not doing the chair and figure that thing out before you start into it. Because, you know, there's that that was definitely one of those things. You know, you should never bring a brand new, you know, brand new tool into your shop that you don't understand and, you know, go right into it because, you know, it's pure hubris to think that you're going to know how it works right from the start.
0: Yeah, the first cut on a new tool on a on a finished piece is usually not not good. yeah not
1: recommended <laughs> so uh yeah so but you know take that for what it is and uh you know i i really thank you for giving me the chance to sit oh down. no
0: problem no it, it is my pleasure so thank you very much for coming on and um we will talk to you soon That was my interview with Dan Waite. Uh, Dan, I want to thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure to speak with you and find out about uh, your sculpted Rocker and your woodworking in general. If you've enjoyed this and you want to hear more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, please check us out at modernwoodworkersassociation.com. Also, I'd encourage you to please spread the word amongst your friends. We don't ask for this often enough, but simple word of mouth, propagation of the podcast is a really good way to support us and a very effective means of spreading the word so thank you for listening and stay safe in your shop